good morning. Why don't you all stand to your feet for the reading of the word? If you're a guest with us today, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and it is an honor to get to have you and your families joining us this weekend. We take these moments every single Sunday morning to come around the scriptures. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe it is relevant for us today, and so we take these moments as a community to come around the scriptures, to learn more about who God is, who Jesus is, and how are we called to walk with the Spirit of God each and every day. We're in week two of Advent, and so we're going to be talking about the theme of love this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We'll have the scriptures on the screens. But let's begin to read this text together. The word of the Lord would say this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I'm gonna say this is the word of the Lord and I'd love for you to respond. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, take this word have it sink deep into our hearts. Lord, I pray for all the different things that we're thinking about right now, all the challenges that we're facing, all of the frustrations that we might have, all the, the joys or even the sadness that we might be experiencing. Might we in this moment be able to lay it all at your feet and receive what it is that you would have for us today. Minister to our hearts, God. We love you in your precious name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated this morning. Bedtime around our house is the moments in the day where my daughter likes to ask the most questions. And oftentimes these questions can be rather deep. Some of the most kind of theological or, or, or spiritually based questions have been asked in that bedtime hour. And a number of months ago, my daughter asked me a question that I was not prepared for. I was standing up next to her bunk bed and we were having a conversation and I was looking at her and she was looking at me. And then she said these words to me. She said, Daddy, are you dying? My first thought was like, Lord, if this is prophetic, make sure you, <laughs> make sure the spirit <laughs> intercedes and tells me because this is some serious stuff. But I asked her, I said, sweetheart, I, I don't believe I am, but why would you ask me that question? And she looked at me, she said, well, because you have gray in your hair. I was like, oh, this is a new level of parenting I hadn't thought about. She's going to point out all the things I'm insecure about. This is great. <laughs> Soon it'll be, hey, dad, you're receding hairline. Let's talk about it. It's thinning on top. It's like, okay, daughter, leave me alone. <laughs> but here's the reality. See, I don't need my five-year-old daughter to tell me how I'm physically changing. Listen, I get it, right? I mean, we all get it, right? As we, as we get older, our, our physical bodies change. Yes, hair turns gray. Eventually, it doesn't exist. And it can be a little bit of a, of a difficult type of shift in life. 
But, but here's the deal. I'm not just a physical being who is changing. I'm also an emotional being. I'm a spiritual being. And while I might with such ease be able to point out the areas in my life that showcase the reality of my physical maturing, my physical changing, I've got to ask myself the question, I think all of us should ask the question this morning, am I also aware of the areas where I am maybe emotionally maturing? Am I aware of the areas of my life where I am spiritually maturing? Now, the reality is the scriptures have so many different texts that we could go to that begin to articulate what it looks like to be maturing as a person spiritually. I love this one that the apostle Paul speaks to the church in Colossae. He would say this, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I mean, those would all be great virtues to look at. And as I begin to see them manifest in my life, they would be able to be a reason to say, yes, I am growing. I am becoming more humble. I am becoming more kind. And while those virtues are all great, I think in essence, they really just make up the greater virtue. And Paul begins to say in the next verse, in 14, and over all these virtues, what does he say? Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, I believe that there is no greater sign of spiritual maturity for you as a Christ follower than your growing in your capacity of love. Andy Crouch has a book called The Life We're Looking For. And he says in the book that every human person is a heart, soul, mind, strength complex that is designed for love. He says we are designed for love, primed before we were born to seek out others, wired neurologically to respond with empathy and recognition, coming most alive when we are in relationships of mutual dependence and trust. He says love calls out the best in us, it awakens our hearts. It stirs up the depths of our souls. It focuses our minds. It arouses our bodies to action and passion. It also calls out what is most human in us. Of all the creatures on earth, we are by far the most dependent, the most relational, and the most social, and the most capable of care. When we love, we are most fully and distinctively ourselves. Now, the reality is this. Just because we are designed for love, as he would like to articulate that concept, just because we're designed for love does not mean that we love well. I mean, it would not take long for any one of you right now to pull out your cell phone, to go to your favorite news site, to pull up your Instagram or your Twitter, and you would be able to give so many examples of humanity's perceived inability to love well. And that's not just something that takes place for those who do not believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The unfortunate part are there are great examples of even individuals who say, yes, I follow Jesus. But if you were to look at the reality of your life, you would not be able to declare that they are a person who loves well. And so we have to begin to navigate and to process this because here is the reality. If any group of people are going to get love well, it should be those 
who profess that they are in relationship with the source of love. And that is what John is trying to get to in this passage of scripture that we read this morning. Verse seven again says this, dear friends, let us love one another. And this is the key line I want us to focus on today. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So we have to understand from the onset of this morning that the source of love is what? It is God. Love comes from God. And so what I want to do is I want to borrow from the framework that we used last week when we talked about hope. In the very beginning, we talked about this idea of a secular vision of hope compared to a Christian vision of hope. And I want to do that same idea for this word love. Now, a secular vision of love, we might be able to articulate it like this. It is rooted in desire and therefore dictated by human feeling. It is defined by the surrounding culture and often manifest in word only. Now, compare that to a Christian vision of love. We would say it like this. A Christian vision of love, it is rooted in God. Therefore, it is dictated by divine source. It is defined by God's word and it manifests in action. And so what I wanna do for a few moments is I wanna take that vision and I wanna break it into two parts and I wanna dive a little deeper into that. So the first part, love is rooted in God and therefore it is dictated by divine source. Listen to 1 John 4, 8, the next verse that comes in our text. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because why? Because God is love. Friends, we have to realize that Christian love must not be dictated by human desire or feeling. Human desire and feelings tend to be self-centered and self-seeking. Their aim is really at their own satisfaction, not at what is better and possibly best. Which is why for those of us who profess faith in Christ, the love that we have is rooted in something other than feeling and desire. It must be rooted in God as the text would tell us because he is the very essence of love. And we cannot in our own strength be able to produce this type of love because this type of love, a biblical perspective of it, not what culture would define as love, what we would see as love in the biblical text, that is something that has to find its source in God. Now, Soren Kierkegaard was a Christian philosopher of the 19th century. And while many of his contemporaries of the time were trying to articulate that the human aim should be things like money and, and sex and power, what Soren did is he held to the biblical mandate that our aim as individuals and as human beings is that of pursuing love that is rooted in God. And I love how he illustrates this picture of what it is to have your love rooted in God. He says it like this. As the quiet lake is fed deep down by the flow of hidden springs, which no eye sees, so a human being's love is grounded still more deeply in God's love. If there were no spring at the bottom, if God were not love, then there would be neither a lake nor a man's love. 
As the still waters begins obscurely in the deep spring, so a man's love mysteriously begins in God's love. So the first part of it is rooted in God and therefore it is dictated by divine source. And then the second reality of this vision is that it's defined by God's word and it manifests in action. Now this is going to be so key for us because much like the word hope that we talked about last week, love is another word that no one can actually tell you what it means. It's a word that as we said last week, it's a bit benign in our culture today. But see, we as followers of the way of Jesus, we have to go to the biblical text to begin to make sure that we understand what exactly is God talking about when he calls us to love. Now the word in the Greek is this word agape. And to define it in its most easiest way, we could say this. Agape love is doing what is best for another in light of eternity, no matter the cost to myself. I want you to take that in this morning. It is doing what is best for another in light of eternity, no matter the cost to ourselves. Agape love is self-giving type of love. It is a sacrificial type of love. And it is unconditional. And the reality is that it manifests in action. It is not just something that we utilize our words to be able to articulate. It is something that has to be acted out. When you look at the biblical text, when you read any time it talks about love, oftentimes you're going to find surrounding it, God displaying what that love actually looks like. Look at the two verses that follow verse seven and eight. This is how God did what? He showed his love among us by doing what? He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. The key words there is he sent. Biblical agape love manifests in some form of an action. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. To do what? To lay down one's life for a friend. There is a doing involved. So it is self-giving. It is sacrificial. It is unconditional. It is doing what is best for another, no matter the cost to ourselves. And Jesus is the most beautiful examples of this. Jesus coming to earth was a manifestation of God's love. And he came to save us from our sin, to bring us out of darkness, but also to invite us into becoming a new type of person. A person who connected to the source is able to love in their daily reality. So how do we become that type of a person? I mean, words like self-giving and sacrifice, no thank you. But if that is what agape love is, and that is what we are called to do, to love one another in that way, how do we come into being that type of an individual? Dallas Willard makes this statement. He says, we do not achieve the disposition of agape love by direct effort, but by attending to and putting into place the conditions out of which it arises. Now, this is what I want you to understand before we go any further. 
you will not become a person of love because you try harder. That will end in failure for you. It will end in frustration for you. As Dallas says, it's not by direct effort, but by attending to and putting in place the conditions in which it arises. What might he be thinking as he would say that? What I want to do is I want to give us three conditions. And I think that these are three conditions that if we were to give ourselves to, we would begin to see God begin to shift and to reshape us from the inside out. They would allow us to be next to the source of love, and then we would begin to actually see it manifest in reality. And I hope that that is a vision that you would get excited about. I hope that would be something that you would want to give yourself to. Because all throughout the New Testament, the Old Testament, the whole entire biblical narrative, the essence, the theme is love. And we have to do this well. So what are the conditions? The first one is this. We need to examine areas of anti-love. We need to examine ourselves and our own person and our own character and look into begin to really reveal and to showcase the areas of anti-love in us. So many texts that we could go to that showcase these different characteristics that just must not be part of the Christian experience, but I'd like to go to 1 Peter 2, verse 1. Peter says, Put away all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. See, these items of your character will begin to undermine your ability to love. Now, you might look at that list and say, you know what? I don't even know what malice means, so I'm probably not doing it. I don't really consider myself a deceitful person or hypocritical or one who envies or slanders. Okay, how about this? Are you a mean person? I mean, let's just be honest for a few moments. Whether you're a Christian or not, I know plenty of Christians who I would define as just flat out mean. Listen to the words they say, listen to how they approach their social medias, listen to the countenance in which they carry themselves. They are just flat out mean. And that character trait is going to hinder your ability to love. Now maybe you're not mean, but maybe you're just arrogant. Maybe you're prideful. Maybe you use your words to dishonor others. Maybe you're just flat out an angry person. Maybe that you always assume the worst in the people around you. We could take it down a little bit further. Here's the reality. It's really hard to become a person of love when you are selfish. And if none of the other words that I have spoken have connected with you, maybe that one will. Because selfishness is something that is rampant in our culture. It's hard to become a person of love when you are obsessed with personal comfort. And I would say that in our nation in particular, we are obsessed with personal comfort. And the reality is this, is that your love of ease will always compete and most of the time beat out your love of neighbor. And so we have to call out these realities in ourselves. We have to go through prayers of examination daily 
and to look at what are the characteristics of who I am as a person that might be hindering my ability to love. And then what do we do with that? Do we just sit in it and sulk in it and feel bad about ourselves? No, we confess it. We repent of it. We turn from those wicked ways and we move forward in what God has called us. We lovingly sit with one another that we are in relationship with and we start to say, hey, friend, I have noticed that you are just nasty. (laughs) I'm telling you, we have to be better about that for one another. I mean, in an attitude of love, yes, but some of us have friends who we are just allowing to be mean and nasty people. And sometimes I think the Lord's like, hey, why do you think I brought you into their life? Not to be a jerk, but to lovingly come alongside and say, hey, have you noticed this about you? Oftentimes, you know what it is? It's actually someone's shadow side. It's a part of them that they may not even realize, but the Lord might want to utilize you to speak it out for them. So that first condition, examine areas of anti-love in your life. The second part I would say is this. Condition two, disciplined abiding. If God is the source of love, then I have to put rhythms in my life, practices in my life, that would allow me to be near the source. See, agape love forms in and then out of those who disciplined to their abiding. Friends, we need to be practicing the spiritual disciplines. You need to be in the word each and every day. You need to spend time in prayer each and every day. You need to have moments of silence and solitude each and every day. You have to give yourself to the spiritual practices that the Holy Spirit will begin to use to shape your life into more of the person he has called you to be. And we're gonna have to be disciplined in our abiding. But something really beautiful begins to happen when we do. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 6, beginning in verse 43. He says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes. And grapes are never picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. When it comes to Jesus... And when it comes to you becoming the person he has called you to be, it's always going to be an inner work that must take place. And the beautiful part is when we allow the inner work to take place, the outer work takes place on itself. See, if you just become a good tree, so to speak, then you will bear good fruit. And even when you're not bearing good fruit, you examine said fruit And then you go back to abiding with the source of love. You go back to abiding with Jesus. So we examine. We then are disciplined in our abiding through the spiritual disciplines, through other practices. And then the last one is this, condition number three. Just practice everyday love. You just have to practice it. You just have to start doing tangible things that showcase this. And I want to end our time with just giving you five super practical ways to practice everyday love. Number one is this. 
Practice recognition over indifference. When a baby is first born, the doctors talk about this this time period. They call it quiet alert. And after, you know, the baby's cleaned up and all the stuff is figured out, there'll be like an hour or so time period. And I remember this because we just had August not too long ago. But there's this time period where he was just wide awake. I mean, I have this picture of him where his eyes are just about as open as they've ever been. And what doctors say is that in that moment, the baby's actually scanning the room for a face. The baby has this deep desire to be recognized by someone. And here's the reality. I don't think that we ever actually grow away from our need to be recognized. But see, here's the issue. We are just people who are indifferent towards one another. And so we walk by people each and every day, but do we ever actually take time to look at what it would be to recognize that person? It's interesting, many of the books that I am reading right now, there are, this theme keeps coming up. It's this idea of recapturing personhood. And that we as the church, we have to be the best at this. I mentioned that book earlier from Andy Crouch. And he shares in it this practice that he does. And I'm just going to share it to you because I think it's a great practice. He talks about how he was at uh, Chicago O'Hare, big airport. And he decided just to walk back and forth from the terminals. And as he would walk, when someone would pass him, he would just quietly say the words, image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. See, in that moment, he is recalibrating his soul to the reality that it doesn't matter what this person has made of their life. It doesn't matter if they are living out the reality in which I have called myself to. They're still an image bearer of God. We need to be good at recognizing people. Here's the second one. Practice presence over distraction. When you're with people, be present with them. I had the best example of me not doing this a couple months ago. I'm at the park with my kids, and I'm on my phone. (laughs) Dang it. And my son, Otto, he runs up to me, and he he says something to me. He's mumbling, and he's talking, and I'm, I'm just distracted. I'm not paying attention. Sure, bud, that sounds good. A couple seconds later, I turn around and there's all these kids around, there's all these parents around and my son is peeing in the park. (laughs) And so I run up to Otto, dude, no, like I try to like block a little bit. I said, what are you doing? And he said, I asked you if I could pee. (laughs) In that moment, it's like, that's on me, but I'm sorry, (laughs) that's on me. It's because I was distracted. Listen, be present with your people. Parents, can I say this lovingly to you and to me? Put the stinking phone down. Take the phones off the tables during dinner time. When you walk into a restaurant, be different. Live out a different alternative. Keep the phones in the car or keep them in your pocket. But this whole idea that we all just lay our stupid phones out on the table, we watch them light up the whole time we're eating together. 
That is not being present with one another. It's not loving towards one another. And we just have gotten so used to that as being the reality. Church, push against that. Be present with people. Look them in the eyes. Recognize them as you go about life with them. Third one is practice hospitality over individualism. Open up your homes to people. Look at your dining room table as a place for ministry. I cannot tell you how many times that we've just had people sitting around our table, whether it's sharing a meal with them, whether it's just sharing a cup of tea with them, whether it's having coffee with them, and you just get to be with one another and you get to hear one another's stories. You get to sit in the difficulty with them. You get to rejoice in the beauty of life with them. But many of us, we're just too wrapped up in the cultural ideal of being an individual and doing whatever the heck that I want. But if you're gonna become a person of agape love, it's time to start inviting people to your table. It's time to start seeing your home as a place to where the presence of God can move about people. I'm not gonna read it right now, but there's a beautiful book called uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I'd very much so encourage you to read it if you get a moment. The fourth one is this, practice service over selfishness. Listen, I'm telling you, if you wanna watch your love for something increase, begin to serve it. It's really interesting. There's something kind of supernatural that happens. When I am disciplined and choose to serve something, watch your capacity of love go up for it. Let me say it like this. Husbands, if you, for whatever reason, are struggling loving your wife right now, I'm gonna ask you to start serving her well. In fact, serve her like Christ loved the church. Sacrifice for her. And in the midst of that, watch how your affection will begin to grow. That person at your work that just really grinds your gears, start serving them. Find out what their favorite type of coffee is and bring it to them. And just watch how your affection and your love and your capacity for them will begin to grow. Here's the last one. Practice intentionality over aimlessness. Be intentional. I believe that uh, it was Rich Velotis, who's a pastor in New York. He, had, he made this statement. I thought it was so good. He said, whenever he walks into a room, he asks this question, God, where are you working and how can I partner with you? It's a beautiful statement. For the last couple of months, I've been trying to practice that. When I walk into a room, I've been talking to our staff about this. We've had prayers on Sunday morning. Hey, have that as your heart posture. God, where are you working in the midst of our congregation and how can we partner with you today? And a few weeks ago, I was walking into Fred Meyer with my daughter and I, I made that same statement. God, where are you working and how can I partner with you? And so we go through and we get the groceries that we needed. We get into line and then there was a young boy, probably 11 or 12 in front of us and he's, try, he's just wanting to buy a little Hot Wheels car. So he's got it on the conveyor belt and the clerk scans it. It's like $1.80 or something like that. And I start overhearing, because I'm trying to be intentional with just my life. And he starts telling the clerk, he says, yeah, you know, it's my brother's eight, his eight-year-old birthday and I wanted to buy him a present. 
And instantly I'm just like, that is so precious. <laughs> so I'm just kind of like just watching this whole thing. And, and I could, you know, he starts going into his bag looking for his money. And he could have had the money, but he was kind of struggling finding it. And he kept saying, oh, I got it. Just give me a second. I think he could kind of feel the pressure of me standing there and my daughter. And so I just said, hey, bud, could I buy the car for you? And he looked at me. He's like, you don't have to do that. It's okay. I said, no, no, no. I think it is so cool that you are buying your brother a gift. Could I buy the car? So I, I bought the car. We paid for our groceries. I handed him the car. And then he looks at me and he says, can I give you a hug? So here's this little lover. I don't know who this kid is. And he just, in the middle of Fred Meyer comes up, he just gives me a big hug. Now here's the reality. Can I just tell you something? That's not actually that special. You and I should literally be looking for those types of opportunities every single day. The problem is we are not. We are too caught up in ourselves, too caught up in our plans, too caught up in the, the little lives that we're building. To, we're just unaware of how God is moving in the world. And I promise you, if you just begin to take on that posture of, God, where are you working? How can I partner with you? You will find moments like that each and every day. And can I just tell you, there is nothing better than those types of moments. Because you're actually beginning to see yourself become the person that God has called you to be. So that is the mandate for us. Church, love one another. But don't do it in your own strength. Do it living out a life deeply connected to the source that is God. And so Father, as we sit here right now, Maybe we would even just ponder those three conditions. Maybe some of us in the midst of this last song, we need to ask the question, where are the areas that we need to examine in our own person that are hindering love, anti-love? Maybe for some of us, it's just we need a recommitment to disciplined abiding with you, allowing you to do that inner work so that we can become the types of people who just naturally love well. And Lord, maybe for some, it's just, we just gotta start practicing it. We just gotta move beyond ourselves. We gotta realize that there is something so special that you have in front of us as people who profess faith in Christ. And we need to be about that business, not even our own. And so Lord, as we sing out this last song, would you just nurture us? Would you minister to us? Would you convict us? And would we walk out of here with a clear understanding of how to love, who to love, and where our source for love comes from. In your name we pray, amen. Church, let's stand to our feet. Let's respond by singing this together.